this is our April show, and we are a day or two late and many dollars short, but we have a couple of new members that uh, we'd like to introduce to everyone here, and um, what I'll do is I'll pass the mic to you guys and let you talk about your show and give the audience a little bit of a taste of what they can expect from you, and then we'll just get into some organic discussion based on whatever you guys feel is relevant going on in the news or, um, you know, updates on shows. We have some things we can talk about from our show, the Actual Anarchy Podcast and the Last Nighters, which is our normie-friendly version. But this is our monthly roundtable discussion of the LibertarianUnion.com members. We have over a dozen shows now. Uh, the newest members are Stephen Clyde of the Peace and Liberty Podcast and Nick Bacone. Am I saying that right? Yeah, good job. And yours is uh, Sounds Like Liberty, is that correct? That is correct. All right, and you are, in fact, the very newest member. I don't even have your page posted yet, so hopefully I'll get that up in the next day or two, phrasing. Uh, But why don't we pass the mic to you, and you can just introduce your show. Where can people find it? What do you do on there? And, uh, you know, what's your target audience and all that stuff? And then we'll uh, pass it on to Stephen from you. Uh, well, Sounds Like Liberty, you can find us at soundslikelibertypodcast.com. Uh, we started the podcast in an effort to kind of humanize uh, people in the liberty movement was the real goal. I got sick of having arguments about Yemen and Syria with people and just talking policy nonstop, so I wanted to make us be actual people, I guess. And my favorite thing to talk about is music, so... I figure I'd bring some libertarians on. We can talk about music, introduce people to new music, and try and connect on something other than just the politics side of things. Uh, I host it with my uh, wife, Lizzie. And I think we generally sometime middle of the week every week. And if I have an interview, we'll post them on Saturdays. Oh, man. <laughs> Is there anything else I should mention on there? That was my kid. No, that's cool. This is live, people, so, you know, (laughs) life happens. Life happens. Uh, Well, thank you for that, Nick. And, uh, Stephen, you're the other newest member or second newest member, so why don't you tell us where people can find your show and what do you do and how often do you do it and, you know, give us all the gory details. Well, I'll just say it's uh, awesome to be part of the Libertarian Union, just a group of people where we can all support each other, everything we all do. My name is Stephen Clyde. I host the Peace and Liberty podcast. Um, I dedicate my life to talking about liberty and spreading the message of liberty. Um, really can't imagine myself doing anything else at, at this point. Um, you can find me at forpeaceandliberty.com. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher. I'm on pretty much like everywhere now. If there's somewhere I'm not, just let me know and I'll get it up there. Um, but yeah, I just live, live my life to spread peace and liberty. All right, and if I recall, you are on a uh, weekday basis, right? Like five days a week? I do do five days a week. Um, people call me crazy, but the truth is I just plan really, I plan far ahead, and it goes pretty well. I mean, I'm already like three weeks to a month in advance, and I, I have plenty more people I could book, so I'm, <laughs> I, I could almost do seven days a week. I, I, I chose to do five days a week because I actually do have that much to talk about. Um, I think Not uh, a lot of current events. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or sometimes I just sometimes I just want to talk about a Rothbard book. Like I I just finished up the other day, finishing up Anatomy of the State. I went through every single chapter of that. So people that can watch those few episodes have like taken a huge mental leap. Because uh, Anatomy of the State, that's exactly what you get out of that. Like the 
the red pill of red pills. All right, very good. Well, I was uh, fortunate enough to be your very first guest. So that's episode two, and people can find that where at uh, forpeaceandliberty.com slash two, the number two. I hope that link will work. I don't know if I have my link set up like that, but yeah, episode two. All right, do that. <laughs> it, it makes it so much easier. Especially it might when you want be to like that. I'm just not sure. That's a good question. All right, I just do it as redirects in my uh, Bluehost control panel. So I can show you how to do it at some point. But uh, so Nick is here, Stephen is here, and so is my co-host Robert. So Robert, how are you? And uh, would you mind maybe telling our audience a little bit about what we've been doing on our show lately, any updates, any changes, or uh, anything else? Hey, everybody. This is Robert from the Actual Anarchy Podcast and the Last Nighters Podcast, which is the normie-friendly version of the show. And what have we been doing? What is new, Daniel? I We've just been doing the same stuff. That's very compelling content there, Robert. <laughs> if that's any indication of how great our show is, uh, everyone should check it out. Uh, you can find our show at actualanarchy.com or lastnighters.com. Uh, so the Last Nighters version, like Robert was saying, is the normie-friendly version. It is relatively new. We've talked about it a little bit before on the Libertarian Union, State of the Libertarian Union talk show, which is what we're doing right now. Um, I think that the most recent thing is we've been talking about maybe scheduling episodes a little bit further out. Like Stephen was talking about how he gets like three or four weeks ahead. We should be able to pick out movies a few weeks ahead while still having, you know, some room for updates and whatnot. But I just want to praise one one thing for you guys, Dan. Um, I'm an anarcho-capitalist all the way down the line. You all are able to find anarchist elements that I would have never, ever thought of in, in certain types of movies. So I do praise you guys for that. You, do, you, you guys do think outside of the box, especially when you guys are arguing with each other. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are our best episodes when we Go watch the Lion King one, yeah. <laughs> you guys <are> <laughs> Yeah, Robert, yeah, Robert's not a fan of the Lion King. I just thought you were trying to pick fights directly with me. Well, well we're going to get to that one, Nick. Hatred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that one, Nick. <laughs> uh, so I think that's all the, the members we have today. Um, Invalid Beard from Don't Waste Your Hate might chime in a little bit later, but everyone else had other prior obligations. So you're stuck <laughs> with just us in our menage a trois here. So, Nick... Since you chimed in, and, and we're going to pick on you, uh, you listened to our most recent episode, which was on Hot Fuzz, the Simon Pegg movie, and I think that episode is 74, so that can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 74, or the normie-friendly version at lastnighters.com slash 17. So you had some commentary, and uh, we, would, we would like to retort, but why don't you remind us of, uh, tell the audience what you, what you saw and what you commented. All right, so, I mean, obviously a huge fan of the show, but aside from that, you guys get this weird thing about cops where you, you really zone in, and I, while I understand the passion about that angle, I think you give way too much credit for the glorification of cops, because in both episodes, I mean, let's be honest, they didn't exactly paint the cops and super troopers as being the smartest of the bunch. They clearly were denigrating the profession as a whole, saying, this is the quality of human beings that's drawn to this. Now, the big thing with the, the hot fuzz angle is that for me, the whole arc of the movie is that he starts out as the super cop. And by the end of it, he realizes that 
the law itself isn't near as important as the protecting the people and actually being for the community. Because if he was doing all the things that he was supposed to according to the law and the people there, he would have been sucked into the whole, you know, the bigger element, the what you call it the deep state of the little town, so to speak. And so to me, it looked like the law was less important to him as opposed to being an ethical person within the community by the end of it. Well, now that's, it's, it's, that's an interesting point you bring up. But I'm curious because his only beef with those people was the fact that they were breaking the law. Now, are you, are you saying that, that he went outside the law to, to bring them in or to capture them or something like that? Uh, well, no, I'm thinking of it more as in the way that he interacts as a person past that part. Because you can see how he's interacting in like the, uh, the post, the, after the town has kind of reset in the way he's policing thereafter. It's, it seemed to me to be less of a super cop mentality and more of a, all right, let's be a real person dealing with other people. Which is part of what Nick Frost's character in it helped to bring out in him. And it, it could just be that that's what I infer from the character because that's what I want to see. <laughs> That's the way I remember the movie. I will say he I, did take a vigilante bit or bent in his arming himself like Rambo and then going around doing, uh, you know, distributing justice upon these murderers in this cult. And so that probably wasn't like totally um, by the book, board. so to speak. Um so I, I will grant you that, but I think his arc, other than that, was pretty much the same. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of after story, right? Like once the the main violence is done at, at the end, there's the he buys he brings flowers to a grave, and then we it's revealed that it's his partner who's um, not dead, and it's his mom's grave. But that's all we really see at the end. So I, I don't see him. Discovering yeah, like they, ethics like, or away, peel away for a call or something after the end of it. Yeah, um, there's a property rights like, issue where some some people are like loitering in a store or something like that, and then yeah, then they peel away, like it's like the hottest call ever. Yeah, <laughs> which right. which seemed to me like to be another instance of well, he's going to be a human being here as opposed to. Nick, him at the beginning of the movie would have absolutely been, well, no, we have to drive the speed limit to get there and pass lanes only doing this and this and this and this. I guess to me, he just became more human as it went on and the law became less important. Okay, well, for me, that, that's, that says to me that very end where he starts peeling away, that says more to me that his, his partner's influence had a bigger effect on him and he became more of a... Uh, yeah, I'm Rambo. I'm action hero guy. Look at all I, I accomplished with all my action heroics. See, that's how ANCAP I am. I just saw what I wanted to see. <laughs> it's all subjective, man. It is. It is art, and it is all subjective, and that's why it can be fun to talk about, though. Yeah, I will say that he seemed to be having more fun at the end in that you know brief moment there. Uh, so maybe they did humanize him in a way because early on in the in the movie when he is super cop, he lacks social skills to such an extent. Like all of his relationships are totally stunted, right? Everyone hates him, but he has like no clue. You know, very libertarian in that that way. Yeah, yeah I feel his pain, right? <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Want to talk about the law? That's all he wants to talk about ever. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm sure Patrick would um, know exactly what we're talking about here because I think he gets in trouble at home for only talking about libertarianism uh, in the home. Uh oh. (laughs) Sorry, man, calling you out, buddy. Next time, be on be on the show so you can defend yourself. Man, I just wanted to say one thing. Like, I, this is—I don't know how many shows you guys have done. <clears throat> the one time I finally get on, there's only like two of you guys, and I was expecting like a group of like ten of pe- ten people today. So, man. <laughs> hey, maybe next time. All right, <laughs> you make me I'm feel bad. Every- I'm calling everybody out who wasn't here. I can run okay. my mouth for six if you want me to. <laughs> oh, I got. I right, well, could too. Since we're sort of on the topic of the UK, and the UK's been in the news a lot lately, I'm wondering if I could pitch a question over to you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen marches against knives and binning knives. We've seen uh, several medical issues being untreated, people denied surgeries for being obese and uh, smoking, um, children being left to starve to die with dignity things like this uh so let's just start trashing the uk a little bit if you're if you're game oh i mean we could just talk about the alfie evans case i mean that was that was one of the most despicable things that's probably going to happen this year um i I don't know if you guys realize what happened uh, near the end there the judge ruled that well they, they took the kid off the ventilator and basically what happened is the kid kept breathing i think they were taking the kid off the ventilator just thinking the kid would die and by the way the, the this hospital was well-guarded with, like, these military-type people because people were going crazy. Like, they wanted to save that kid. Uh, So they took the kid off the ventilator, um, still breathing for, like, 24-plus hours. Um, Italy offers to fly the kid over for free to try another experiment. Judges say, nope. So kid kid dies. I don't know if you guys heard. Kid died. It was, like, last night or two nights ago. Real, Real sad. The parents were completely helpless. Um, if you, I wrote an article about this, and I'm waiting for Liberty Hangout to publish it. Um, hopefully, they'll publish it by tomorrow. But one thing I point out is that you you can read the whole judge's ruling, and it's kind of sick. And then they're kind of saying like, you know, the reason we're doing this is because we want to protect the auto- autonomousness of the kid. Just crazy, just crazy. Like, the, like the whole. Yeah, it, it doesn't even make sense. So, so the kid's only autonomous if he's in the hands of the state where they kill him. It was murder. I mean, it, it, Italy was asking to fly him over for free. They were going to try free treatment. They were just like, "Don't let the kid die. We'll we'll try something else." It's like unbelievable, right? So, I mean, we're just talking about a bunch of evil psychopaths. Well, their logic was in both of the cases. Cause this is the second one within a year, correct, that the UK has had. And their their reasoning was that the kid's going to die anyways, and you're harming him by prolonging his life. Yeah, that, that's we basically just, that's basically the logic. But you know, the point is that a lot of brain dead patients come back. And I have I have this one article linked to the article I wrote in the footnotes, and it's just go, it just goes. You know, some of these cases are basically like. People have like neurodegenerative diseases, and they wake up from it right before their organs are about to be harvested. And this, this happens time and time and time again. So I really don't trust uh, the ruling on these things to say that you know we're, we're 100% sure this is the case. Um, that baby may have well been able to uh, be be saved, 
And it was all, almost two years old. I think a few let's, days, almost two years let's old. Let's do a crossover with you and Actual Anarchy. They should totally do the movie Awake, where the guy is being operated on while he's conscious. Oh, is that like Locked In? Like a horror movie? Type of stuff? Uh, I think it was a suspense movie. I think it was like espionage involved. He's like a 19-year-old kid. Like I think he was wealthy. And they tried to kill him, but he didn't die. <laughs> you should look into it. It's a real weird movie. Might have been a bit foreign. It almost sounds like Get Out a little bit. <clears throat> There's a oh, certain yeah, a element bit, yeah. of that in there, but about ten years prior. There's wow, another okay. movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds, and he's like buried alive in this casket, and all he has is a cell phone and a lighter. So he, a lighter to see, and like the cell phone, and like these people call him saying like they, they set him up. Uh, I, f- I forget what movie it is. That's, I don't know how we got on this topic, by the way. We're talking about Dead Kid in the UK. I just um, thought it was a good crossover of people yeah. being declared dead. <laughs> Yeah. Well, just, yeah, to bring what, it back, just to bring it back, I mean, um, universal health care is just deadly in itself. And this is kind of an example because when, when you give government the power to have the final say, it might be you as the parents watching your kid basically suffocate and starve to death. I think it was basically a... a, a, a um, it was both starving and uh, suffocating to death because the kid was taken off the ventilator but still breathing. Not to say the kid was breathing good. The kid was just still breathing, so... Mm. Well, they, and, and you might know more than this. I'd heard that the they'd actually stopped feeding the kid at the hospital because he didn't die. Yeah. Which I can't even, I can't even fathom. Like, you, you have this person that's living and capable of doing this and you're refusing to do it? Yeah, this is, impossible. A, this, is, this is kind of related to the Terry Chavo case. This was back a few years ago, or a long time ago now. It was like 13 years ago now. It was in 2005 when she was taken off her feeding tube for the third time, court-ordered. Um, Michael Chavo wanted her to stay on the feeding tube, and her, uh, her parents didn't. And you know, that's kind of a moot point because like, the whole point is that the government was in control of like, whether she had the feeding tube in or out. You know, they were in control of it all. Um, so she, she died under that condition. And Terry Chavo, there was like, a group of like, missionaries or Christians that were trying to go in there to feed her, and they got in huge trouble. So yeah, in, in this case with Alfie Evans, their parents, or um, this group that was wanted to go in there and help them, they got denied to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's just a really common theme you see. And like all these, that's that's one thing I, that's one reason I like to talk about history is just so people realize like, okay, that thing that happened in 1896, it happened today. You know, all this stuff is just, history does repeat itself. It's kind of like a sick joke. Hey, Stephen, do you recall the uh, the other child? Was that Charlie Gard? Is that how his mm. name was spelled or said? Yeah. What happened with him? He I wanted to come to the United States, or his parents wanted to bring him to the United States for some experimental um, procedure that might have been able to prolong his life. But yeah. they were also denied bringing him over. Is that correct? That that sounds about right. Um, I that was a while back, but um, gosh, it's just it's just crazy. Can you imagine like someone's someone's offering to save your life? They're gonna do it for free. Um, all they're asking is that you give up custody of the the dying person, and. Uh, What's the sense of it? Because obviously, in, in, in like the judge's mind, they think they're being humane. Obviously, to everyone else, they're absolutely inhumane. Um, those parents have to live with that the rest of their lives. Like the, their whole legacy is their child was was killed by the UK. I that's think your, the, that's your whole that's your whole legacy now. The bigger thing is the implications from like the response that the police had, like literally putting out threats that. It, about it, like threatening, saying, if you try and come here, we will re- react accordingly. 
Like, I can't imagine a parent being in that frame of mind and then saying, hey, if you have anybody try and come here, we're going to arrest you and we're going to throw you in a cage. And that's what you get for trying to protect your child. Well, I think the scary but, part is if they did take action, it would be in their best interest to hide whatever happened because imagine, imagine like some old grandmother walked in with a plate of food and tried to feed him and they shot her down. Would they really want to report that? Well, the I, don't, thing I, don't is, think, I don't think they would, they would want to report that. The thing is, is that they were they were even making threats about people talking about it on Twitter specifically. Mm. Like they were going to use the hate speech laws that they have in mm. place to go after people, you know, tar- targeting it. Yeah. Yeah, talking about perversion of that, um, Robert. <laughs> I think you were trying to chime in. That's that's exactly what I was going to mention. It was just that it goes beyond even their their, their violence of them stopping anybody trying to help this child and declaring that they essentially own this child. Yeah, that's 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 the best way to word it, you know, they they essentially own the child now. Yeah, you know, I I know if I stopped feeding my kid, I would get in some shit, right? I would get in trouble with the authorities. Uh so well, Dan, you, when the authorities can, do can... it, it's fine. Just use the excuse that uh you just didn't want your child to suffer, you're just letting him starve. Right that's now, same, I want the same argument the UK use. Yeah, we we just we feel bad for the kid. Let's just let it die. Well, my <laughs> kids, my kids aren't suffering though. But um, <clears throat> I want to bring this to some Rothbard because Rothbard argues, I believe, that you have no positive obligation, including feeding your own child. Now, I think that this is an area where Rothbard isn't quite right. Um, I think that if you have custody and, and have taken on the responsibility of bringing another life into the world, you have to see that they have their needs provided for them um, while they're unable to do so on their own, or you need to find a caretaker uh, in your stead. Otherwise, you are neglecting your, you know, your duty, right? Your diligence of you've, you've brought something into the world, a, a human being, even if you, even if it was an animal, I think that you'd, you know, bear some responsibility for bringing something into your care and then starving it. You know, I think, I think that uh, there's some harm there. I think Walter Block has the, like, I think Walter Block updated a lot of Murray's views. Like, Murray was pro-choice. I think Walter's evictionist view is like, I think Murray would be like, yeah, you, that's that's the correct view. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, related to this, I, I think Walter Block has a more updated view, basically, that um, you, you can't improperly homestead, so just Talk, forget ch- children for a sec. Just talk about property. I can't take a hundred square. I can't take a hundred acres and homestead it in a donut and leave like you know fifty square acres in the center because that'd be improperly homesteading it. You're like restricting access to you know homesteadable land. It's it's like imp- you know there, there's like a proper way of homesteading. Like you do have to like put your labor into the soil, like do something to it, put put something on top of it, water the grass, mow the grass, put a mailbox there, w- w- whatever. So related to children, um, yeah, if you bring a child into the world, I don't think you have a positive obligation to feed it, but I think, I wouldn't even call it a positive obligation, it'd be affecting the child's negative rights to have somebody else in the world that would inevitably want to come and take care of that child. Uh, You know, if if there was a news report that came out saying like, you know, uh, Dan is letting his child starve. What's the chance? What's the chance that that child would actually starve? I mean, people would rush to the house, police would rush to the house. It wouldn't last for a second. 
So I think Walter Block's point is, is much more updated and sound. What would you guys say? Roger Paxton actually had some interesting stuff uh, was, uh, on this week's episode that I'd never even never thought about. Uh, in particular, he was talking about child abuse and how do you handle that in an ANCAP society. And you know, the idea being that, well, I, I think he's correct, like if you give every person their own, you know, their own in, inalienable rights whatnot, um, then if a community sees a, a child not being properly taken care of, then that, that parent is in itself actually violating the child's rights and has a right to liberate the child from the improper care. Basically, yeah. you're treating it as a slave, and it's not a slave, it's a human being. Yeah, so. look, look if, I, if I take my 18-year-old child and I put him in a corner and I prevent him from leaving the world, I won't, tell any, I won't tell anybody else that he's sitting there starving and I'm holding him there. Well, it's the same logic when you apply it to a child, except obviously an adult is going to be conscious. They're going to know how to escape. A child is just kind of really helpless. So I think especially for a child, um, if you, if you don't want to take care of the child, you have to tell somebody. And I wouldn't consider that a po positive obligation. That's just respecting the negative rights of the child. Exactly. Because I think the child does have negative rights. I think everyone has negative rights. What do you think about that, Dan? <coughs> yeah, I think we're ham-fisting our way through it fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say that, you know, I can't morally starve my kids um, because I brought them into this world, and I have agreed, even if it's implicitly, to um, take care of them, to provide for them, and until they are capable of doing it their own, on their own, or uh, I, if I if I choose not to, then I need to make them available for someone else who's willing to do it, um, because you know there is charity in the world, there is compassion in the world. People would be stepping up to that, and I would be preventing that, and mm -hmm. thus causing them you know significant harm, if not death, and uh, similar to what happened in UK. And the point is that Rothbard was right. Look, he was right, but the point is he didn't he didn't extend the thought far enough. He he said you don't have a positive obligation to feed your child. That's true. Um, you, there is a negative obligation there to let someone else know. I think Rothbard. I think Rothbard was right. That, I just want to make that clear. I think Rothbard was right. I I don't believe in any positive obligation in the world. But I I think you know, you you can choose not to feed your child, but there are a million other people who would want to feed that child, and improperly homesteading that child. <laughs> All right, so I want to shift it back a little bit. Oh, okay. or Robert, you want to... Yeah, go ahead and chime in, Robert, and then I'll, then I'll shift Well, I was it. just going to ask Stephen if, if, if he then believes or does not believe in, then when you create a child, are you, in fact, essentially forming a contract or not? Well, that's a good question. I'd have to think on that for a second. I don't know, I don't know what my immediate response would be. I'll, I'll, answer, I'll come back to that. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Daniel. All right, so I wanted to shift it back to the medical side of things because the, the doctors in the U.K. and the, the court was making a decision based on medical experts, you know, the um, uh, technocrat, right, the technocratic uh, progressive ideal. Well, I have a couple of examples, one personal and then the other is uh, statistical, st statistically, uh, and the statistic is, I believe that medical malpractice and um, inappropriate, you know, medical procedures, accidents, um, overprescription, etc., uh, is responsible for upwards of, of six figures of deaths per year. You know, like over 100,000. So these are doctors doing medical advice, 
medical procedures, prescribing things, and killing patients. And they have every incentive, the, the government and whoever's collecting these statistics, to like try to minimize this because it's, you know, it's an indictment of their, what they're providing. Uh, and Stephen, you talked about this um, and on Facebook recently in a post about Venezuela, how people are starving, but the doctors can't write down that they're starving. So they have to call it something else. It's hard and, to know how long it's been going on for, too. That's just right. when I was reported kind of recently, yeah. And so I was, uh, I chimed in on that, and I was like, well, that's how Cuba got their first world um, infant mortality rates. You know, the, the super low infant mortality, they just started calling it something else. So, you know, taking that into consideration, <clears throat> I would think that the medical malpractice and the accidental deaths is related to that would have a tendency to be underreported, yet the numbers are still huge, still significant. So that's strike one against experts, right? Like, they're not always right. Now, my personal example is my cousin. He had a, um, a genetic um, condition in his brain that didn't reveal itself until he was like 12 or 13 years old and a blood vessel popped in his brain. He had an aneurysm. He was in a coma. They said he would never wake up. And if he did, he would be a vegetable. Well, after like 40 days, he finally woke up. And since then, he has recovered to the point where he has probably 80% functionality on one side of his body and like 20 or 30% on the other. He's went on to graduate from college. He has a master's degree. He has a, you know, a job. He's living on his own. Like he wasn't even supposed to live, right? All the experts were saying he's not going to wake up. He's going to die. And if he does wake up, he's going to be a vegetable. So just one, you know, one example and then the statistics of hundreds of thousands of deaths related every year to experts getting it wrong. And so then when experts in a socialized healthcare system in the UK are relying on other experts to say, oh, this kid's not going to make it, therefore uh, we're being compassionate by starving him to death. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Man's hubris, man, that's all that is. Yeah, every, I'll go to every, Nick. Every angle of it. It's just yeah. man's hubris. Yeah, sorry, I didn't end that with uh, with going to someone. But oh, Robert, anyway. I, have a, I have an answer to your question now. So you asked um, when you when you're impregnate when, when a woman's impregnated, does she is, is has she formed a contract? And I guess my first question would be: Isn't any legitimate contract? Aren't you able to back out of it so long as the with within the confines of the within the what am I trying to say here? There are valid ways to break out of a contract and then invalid ways. Um, for example, um, I, I have a lease with my apartment. I could break that lease. It would probably cost me a fee, but I can legally do that. That's, that's a valid way to break a contract. I have altered I, I, the deal. Yeah, I, I, I guess the question is, when you're impregnated as a woman, do you, inevitably ha are you, do you have this contract that you can no longer break, or is this a contract you can get out of? My first response would be, well, if the mother's dying, I think most reasonable people would agree that she was here first and she, uh, you know, she would, she, her life would be valued first. So I think in that sense, you're, you're ending the contract uh, to bring this kid into the world, save the mother. So there is some type of valid way to break this contract. Now, maybe an invalid way to break this contract would be, you know, to give birth to the baby and, like, toss it off a rooftop or... You know, you know, uh, ten minutes before the baby comes out, you know, like shoving like a needle in the thigh, or you know, you you can you can think of any uh, uh, situation. But I, I guess so I would Steven, ask, then, you know, you know, go ahead. So, so you are agreeing that you form a contract, though. That was my initial question. 
Well, the child is not breakable. That's debatable, that's debatable because um, if if I can get out of the contract, then I can make the argument that there never was a contract, right? Not necessarily. Not if there are you know certain requirements for escape. I guess my question, Robert, would be who is the contract with? Because the child is incapable of forming a contract. I know Walter Block absolutely. This all figures into his evictionism as to how, what he feels on it. I, I, I'm at a loss. I can't remember exactly what his explanation was, but I believe his point was because there's no way for the child to form a contract. There is no contract, and that's why until the child is able to be removed viably, there you're not really at fault as far as things go. Yeah, and like viability is kind of kind of because that's the only way you can compromise. The point of evictionism is like it's the only type of compromise that ever exists in the whole abortion argument. They you bet no matter what you're at least satisfying half of what someone wants, right? You're at least you're at least admitting that if the if the child is not viable, then that you're evicting the child. But if it is viable, it's murder. It is murder to kill a child seventh, eighth, ninth month when um, you take you know Ron, Ron Paul talked about this once uh, in, in the debate years ago, he talked about how he saw a baby being born, and they tossed it in a bucket, and the, you know, baby was breathing, crying, and the baby just kind of, like, suffocated, and, you know, it was just a matter of time. So, it, obviously, that'd be kind of sickening. I, I wouldn't want to see that. See, I, I'm, I'm personally um, pro-life. Like, you know, if I get a girl pregnant, like, I'm going to want to keep that kid. Uh, that's just, that's just, you know, that's my personal decision. That's something I can choose to do all my, my whole life. Um, I hate using a leftist talking point, but it is true that if you ban abortions, uh, you will get um, uh, clothes dryer, or well, what's the the analogy? Clothes hanger. Yeah, the the clothes hanger type abortions, but quick straw poll: How many guys here well, sure, are yeah. pro life? Anytime you make anything illegal, yeah, the quality decreases. Yeah, my my it's argument good. is I don't think the government can manage anything, oh. anything, anything. So that includes abortion. Right. So I I, I could be personally pro life and just say like the government. There's no possible way they could regulate this out of existence. Um, oh, certainly not, for sure. I'm 100% in agreement with you there. And we, Daniel and I had a really long discussion on how exactly you would stop abortions from happening. Yeah, what would you be willing to do to stop it in, in Amkapistan, right? It's like, how do you stop right. people from doing heroin? It's, it's, it's not that far off. Um, you, you can't really. Some people are still going to do it. And it's a matter of it, when they do it, are they going to be buying it in the back street and shooting something into their arm they don't know what it is? Or is it going to be done and, you know, whether it offends people, it would offend people at heroin being sold at 7-Eleven. But it would, it would offend others to, for there to be legal abortions. So. It used to be sold at the corner grocery store, or at least at the pharmacist back in the day before it was made oh, illegal. I saw this funny picture the other day. I don't know if this was a real picture. It's a picture of the Grim Reaper, and he has a sign saying, I, I stand with Planned Parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, it, it, is everybody here uh, pro-life? Out of curiosity, I don't know what to call myself. I'm pro-choice, but pro-life. Like, I'm, like in my own personal life, I would want the person, the girl I am pregnant, to keep the kid. So whatever, every anyone else that gets pregnant, literally anyone else, pro-choice. I don't know what to call that view. I think it's my personal view is that I think it's, I believe it's immoral if you voluntarily get pregnant and then you terminate the pregnancy. And by voluntarily get pregnant, I mean you have sex. And you get pregnant. I think that's yeah, and, and I, go ahead and kill that baby. You, I think that's immoral. But like, I'm not like going to baby. advocate any violence to be used to stop that person from getting an abortion. 
based on the science I've seen, I'm pro-abortion up until after six months after it's born, essentially. At which point it, it actually develops consciousness. It doesn't have until that point. Uh, I believe six months is the about when it starts being able to delineate itself as something that's not just part of the world around it. Wait, did you say six months after being born? <laughs> I'm surprised when nobody gave me any pushback on that real quick. <laughs> I, it, it, from what I, uh, from the uh, science I've seen, it takes about uh, six months before a child actually is able to even differentiate itself from the world around it. You don't have a, uh, an, a consciousness until that point. So well, that's kind of always how I've justified it to myself that I'm pro-choice. Um, and besides, consciousness isn't all it's cracked up to be. I kind of wish somebody had done that to me. All well, this the, thinking the stuff. Cortex, the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until you're 25. So <laughs> up until that point, you're not necessarily fully conscious either. So you're all at 25? All right, no, no offense, but Nick, you're over 25, right? So I guess murdering you at this point would be wrong. Well, no, but like I said, I, and I'm completely willing to be changed on it, but the understanding I had was that, I mean, if you're not even capable of differentiating yourself from your surroundings, you're kind of just part of the ether anyways. I understand if you have a religious reason for not believing that, and I'm I'm okay with that. that that's completely someone's right to do it. I don't have the religious tie to it, so for me, from a strictly science standpoint and to my understanding of consciousness that is where I would draw my line now I don't also imagine that anyone is going to post birth abort a, a, a child that doesn't sound like anything anyone would actually do I know okay, wait, that... wait. <laughs> hang on hang on Nick so okay so let's so you're saying that you don't have negative right until you have consciousness is that correct Okay, let me interject here because I have a good argument. I, I make this argument a lot. Libertarianism is its not an ideology for whales. It's not an ideology for insects. It's an ideology for human adults. Just, I, I, I mean, I, I do believe in non-aggression against everybody, but I think as a philosophy, it, it's, it's describing human adults and human action, right? And the, the one caveat that I would say, I think I know where you're going, Robert, is that it can't be something that has reached consciousness and lost it, which would be like someone in a coma would be, for instance. If you're a thing that has never had consciousness, that is a different thing than someone who's had it and lost it. Exactly. Because, so as long as, so potential consciousness doesn't matter to you as long as it hasn't happened yet? That's basically where I would personally draw my line. But as I said before, I also, in practical terms, can't see any human being actually making that decision. Having gone through a birth myself, like I, I, I find it difficult to imagine that after a certain point of pre the preparation and the birth, even prior to having a kid, I can't see somebody actually following through on that. But, but just to give a really, really hardcore uh, <laughs> interpretation. Do it. Give me the hardcore. <laughs> if, if nothing else, I, I should get some hate mail out of it. Yeah, so Nick is our newest member of the Libertarian Union and our shortest tenured member who has been <laughs> evicted, so to speak. William Henry Harrison. <laughs> Libertarian Union. I'll get my fame however I get it. Well, that's how you get it, man. 
<laughs> you know, making those extreme, extreme comments. You know, I thought we were pretty extreme. And I think for the most part, you know, like among the normie crowd, I think that that, that we would be considered extreme. And that's what that's one thing that really bothers me is that why do people who advocate for voluntary interaction and no third-party intervention, why are we the crazy ones? Stephen, why are we the crazy ones? Well, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's because we actually take a principled position and the, everyone else's positions are specifically unprincipled, but they find comfort in that. They like that. They, they, they know that's the norm. It's a lot easier. Well, holding principles is not easy and requires a lot of thought. Let's be honest, it's way easier to watch the Kardashians than think about shit. I mean, yeah, or tick a box. It, it seems like it'd be both. Like, it seems like, yeah, most people, most people aren't libertarians. Most people don't talk about the non-aggression principle. It's not that obvious they, they'd figure that out. But at the same time, I think it's probably like the easiest thing in the world to understand. Like, you know, we're in a room together. Don't hurt one another. Um, just talk to one and each other if you want to. Or, or don't talk at all. Or move on. Move along. And it's, it's, I think from our perspective, it's the most simple thing in the world, but <laughs> it's, it's such, maybe it's like an oversimplified idea, like, don't touch me. Like, what? That's, I blame it on Dungeons that's too, and Dragons. That's too simple. What does that even mean? <laughs> I think it's all, right. all D&D's fault in my case. I like rules. What did D&D do to you? Oh. <laughs> I, to die. I like rules. Very, very specific, and everybody follows the same one. I think Rothbard was a fan of Risk, funny. and now that's funny because Rothbard's like this. He hates he hates government altogether, but he likes this like taking over the world game. <laughs> well, it does teach strategy. I mean, games like chess and Risk, they do. I've never but played yeah. Risk. I heard it takes a long time to get through one yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Depends which Everybody. model, which version. Yeah. All right, so let's explore this. Uh, the depth of the dungeon here, Nick, because I think that you've got a fellow nerd on the other line there. Let's let's get into Dungeons and Dragons and what libertarian information we can glean from that. Well, <laughs> well, my point was uh, that I was strictly making is um, perhaps I'm drawn to it for the same reasons as the other thing. Like when more normal people play Monopoly, which has very very simple rules that are kind of a central bank. Um, Malleable, yeah, obviously. I like the complexity of just reading, you know, 30 books just to understand the core of what the game is. And so have you, I think it's the same, okay. the same impulse that got me there is what got me to libertarianism. I mean, this is really complicated thing that explains everything in the universe. Yeah, let's read about that. Huh. So, so have you ever rolled a lawful good character? I, it would be a, 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 an interesting character to play and then a terribly boring game at that. Oh, All right, and the newest hey, newest member has Where's joined mama? us. Where's Mama? Oh, this is a new, new member. Where's what, Mama? What <laughs> Who's that on the line? <laughs> Looks like a rug rat. What's that? I can go. You know, my kid thinks that everyone has a podcast, and so she yeah. wants to start one. <laughs> yeah, she's been begging to be on my podcast forever, but I think she's too shy. 
Yeah, which is confusing to the one that I actually have a camera. <laughs> Does she know she's on right now? You know you're on camera, right, Irma? Hi. Did you just clam up really bad? <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm so... Oh, I don't know how to make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, sweetie. Neither do oh. we. Yeah, don't worry, kid. We don't either. <laughs> yeah, we suck at this. You know what I'm saying? We don't make we don't make any money. Is it on there? Apparently, I have at least a, a viewer. I'll try to keep her quiet. <laughs> All right, no problem. All right, so uh, Robert, you want to you want to flex your nerd cred on the D and D? I don't really have a whole lot of points to make. I'm sure there are things to talk about. But um, one thing you said earlier kind of had me thinking uh, just a little bit. I try not to think too much. But you were mentioning how, you know, the opioid crisis and the false prescriptions or over-prescribing things and the incentive to over-prescribe things ends up killing people. But you don't actually attribute any kind of culpability to these doctors, do you, for these these opioid deaths? Because ultimately it is a personal choice to take these medications. You're just... uh, Acting under advice. Has anybody in here? Has anybody in here read uh, Bob Murphy's uh, Primal Prescription by chance? Yeah, I I haven't read it all the way. I, I have it. It gets into dieting stuff halfway through it, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff as far as like the pharmacy industry and the way that the testing is done on all that. <laughs> that uh, does kind of to me, lend some insight as to why things are really, really messed up and how we regulate that side of things. Like um, it's like billions when he of starts R&D. getting into the, the, well, starts getting into the NNT and NN, uh, <laughs> the NNT stuff is what really gets uh, crazy. What's that? Um, the way basically it boils down to the numbers and how you actually, how many people have to take this for it to actually heal somebody. Or how many people need to take it to actually harm them? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, healthcare is so screwed up right now. I mean, the whole, the whole system. I mean, it's obvious that the way the system is now, um, you're, the only incentive you're supposed to have is to get in the doctor as many times as you can. Go, go, go get as many trivial checkups done as you can. Um, take as many free things as you can. But it, there isn't really an incentive to just allow the, the, the life-saving drugs to pass through, and the FDA just keeps all these life-saving drugs from hitting the market. And yeah, it's it, just from start to finish, you know, just uh, getting the the research and development money together. Um, ultimately, when these drugs do go out, I, I, the doctors you, you got to think in an environment where a doctor they got to eventually they got to try to get people through as quick as possible because if everyone's coming in with with this uh, insurance care that you know everyone has it, everyone can come get a checkup whenever they want. You have to get people in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, all, all day. So you, so you don't really, you don't really take care of them um, like you would in a, in a private scenario where like you actually pay for a service and you get the real treatment. So yeah, I mean the doctors don't really know much about the drugs. And that's that's pretty commonly known is that they they may, obviously they understand the chemicals in it, but as far as like long term testing, they don't know. They don't, because how could they? How could they know? They're spending all their day doing this trivial stuff. Doing, well, the way that, doing, doing paperwork, doing costly stuff. The way that Overhead, all the laws yeah. are written are in favor of the hospitals doing very specific things. And as long as they do all the specific things that they're supposed to do, then their asses are covered. 
like the the laws are are just written in such a way to make that the case. You you should shouldn't be that way. Um, have have any of the fathers here been uh, privy to a home birth versus a uh, uh, hospital birth? <laughs> two times, two times. Home birth. <laughs> you were born at home, Dan. Yeah, both we, uh, kids born at home, and and so was I actually. We uh we attempted it with Great. my wife, and on the third day of labor, we decided to go into the hospital, and found out that she was not ever going to have that child in the home birth. But um, it was insane to watch the shit that they would try and push on you as a you know person at the hospital. Like uh, Stephen was saying, the um. Just that, let's get everything done. You have to do everything that we say, uh, so that we can cover our, our our butts on this and get you out of here and free that room up for somebody else. And to me, like it actually ended up causing problems. I almost got in a fist fight with a nurse at the hospital because the uh, like well the, there was no emergency to push my wife into the uh, C-section. And she needed some time emotionally to deal with the fact that just a few hours ago she was going to have a natural home birth, and now she's going. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll prepare for that. Woman, we'll prepare for that natural birth versus a C-section. <laughs> well, and and she just didn't have the emotional wherewithal to deal as quickly as this nurse wanted her to deal with the fact that, well, now you're not having a home birth, you're having a C-section, and I want you out of this room right now. Now, mind you, at no point had the doctor said that there was any risk to the child that she wanted to lay there an hour and just get it through her system what she needed to and cope with it. Like, they'd all left us to deal with it. And 20 seconds later, this nurse pops in, are we ready to go? And I'm like, uh, if go, you mean me throw fists at you, otherwise get the hell out of the room. I yeah, we, we had um, <laughs> similar discussions with our midwife prior to the birth both times. Um, basically, we were planning for what-ifs and how we would handle it, and then our midwife said that we needed to be coached, and then they would also be there to be an advocate, but we would have a birth plan to hand to the hospital and say, this is what we want. We want, you know, we've thought these through, and we want these things to be considered as first options rather than rash decisions that are forced on us, you know, like... Yeah, you have to do this right now, that kind of a thing. And, and luckily, like, I'd had that, that conversations with, or those conversations with the midwife, and I had in my head what Liz wanted. Um, it just, when everything was said and done, it became the specifics of what she wanted. There was no way she was getting out of it with a, an, uh, uh, without it being a surgical procedure, which was unfortunate. Um, but it, just the way that they would try and push you through, and you have to do what they want. And, and legally, you can tell them, no, you're going to do what I want. I'm here. Most people won't in the same way that you can tell a police officer, well, no, uh, this is against the law, and this is what I'm going to do. Most people won't because they are afraid of what could happen. You know, any any person in perceived authority, as you would say. But it's a... Uh, you you know our thoughts on on that already. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you know, uh, Robert, I think you were going somewhere with the uh, medical malpractice, and I just want to temper Nick what you were saying, where you know the doctors and the nurse, and the whole establishment is trying to push decisions on you guys. Um, I did find the stat, and it's a John Hopkins John Hopkins study that estimates that up to two hundred fifty thousand Americans die each year from medical errors. 
Oh, yeah. So it's the third uh, leading cause of death, right behind heart disease and respiratory disease. And God, that must be somewhat subjective because what counts as like medical mispractice, right? Uh, it's medical mistakes that can lead to death range from surgical complications that go unrecognized to mix-ups with doses or types of medications <coughs> that patient, patients receive, either the amount or uh, mixtures that are harmful. You'd I not mean, believe that obviously, I, I imagine doctors want to try to like stay within their limits, but... Um, also, if like you're a doctor that like knew like what you did would make you lose your license, would would you lie about it? Oh yeah, I'm, there's a big incentive to. It's just crazy. Like, are are all estimates, whether it's like uh, deaths related to communism, whatever, it's just all like underestimated because there's way too many factors that y you could take into consideration. Um, and it's like we were talking about earlier, like doctors aren't even counting people as dying from starvation. That heavily uh, messes with the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think a common theme was just not counting people's having been alive at all. That's a really, that's a really easy one. You know, it didn't exist. Those crazy commies. Well, Nick, if they were using your definition, uh, then <laughs> the infant mortality rate in uh, Cuba would be amazing, right? Yeah, probably. The other way around. Would they still be considered up to six months after birth, still... Uh, be an infant death or a per before being born death before consciousness it'd be some new like category yeah no I mean I, I, I say it would make things incredibly complicated in some ways and really easy in other ways like if, if people prescribed to what I feel but I mean that's the same thing it's trying to set at any arbitrary point and that's the thing that I think everybody needs to realize no matter what point you're setting it's 100% arbitrary. You have no way to know exactly what phase of life anything is in at any point. Um, I always just like the consciousness place because it seems like at least a logical place to me. Versus, I mean, a bunch of cells here, a bunch of cells there. Unless you're going to go all the way back to the spark of life, which for religious reasons I understand why people do that, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But... Yeah, it would be a, a, a very complicated thing. How, um, but it's also, from, uh, while I say that, I believe it's also a gray area in science because even what I'm saying, how can people prove that really beyond a shadow of a doubt? And at some point, you're arguing with people who believe life starts at conception. And yeah. Conception obviously means like that moment when that sperm and egg came together and started the <coughs> reaction, per se. Which so statistically doesn't happen ever. Right, because in 99.99999% of times, uh, the sperm does not penetrate an egg because there's like hundreds of millions of sperm in one egg. Mm -hmm. So statistically, pregnancy doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, in, in terms way of calculus, yeah. That's what calculus would have you believe. Oh, we're just uh, moving things as close as we can to zero. We never actually touch. Just a secant line becoming a tangent line. That's calculus. And just the tip. <laughs> just, just the tip of the slope. <laughs> That's why I always love getting in arguments with like hardcore atheists because they uh, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll sit on math as being this end all be all and trying to explain to them that it's really not much different than a Bible as far as it's a story that approximates reality. Like you can 
tell the story however you want to, and you know, you can get better equations that are better explanations, but at the end of the day, they are still not the thing they represent and require as much faith as that guy who believes that God broke apart some dust and made a woman out of it, you know, or made a man out of it and then broke off on that rib and all that stuff. It's not the thing that it's supposed to be doing. It's just a way to explain the world around you. And I love throwing that in really, really zealous atheist spaces. Now, mind you, I am an atheist, but I hate the ones that are all fire and brimstone about that shit. All right, that's your cue, Robert. Tee off on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I when you mentioned the word hardcore atheist, uh, my ears perk up, but um, everything you said didn't really seem to apply to me. I mean, I... I mean, I don't have a positive belief in God, but I think that's true of most. You're either a zealot or you're not. Like that's by, like you can be a zealot for Jesus, or you can be a zealot for science. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the physical world can be described scientifically, for the most part, and we're getting better and better at it all the time. I don't think. No, we need and 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 I agree. The man in the sky. Well, I'm Christian. Maybe maybe I can jump in here. I think um, religion to me is completely private. I hardly ever talk about it, except with maybe a few people who ask. Um, I guess to me, it's more of like a comfort thing. Like I would, I would rather believe, and even if it's just a belief, that what I'm doing here is going to carry on something else. And so, first off, I guess I, I don't. Does atheism necessarily argue that there could be something after this? They're just arguing that there isn't a god. Like for for all 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 purposes, uh, atheists could believe that there could be an afterlife, just like no God created it. So that's one point I could make. Um, I, I, th I think it, it comes down to, like, what's your motivation for life? Um, I, I think for me, I, I think I'm doing something now that has some meaning that will hopefully carry on, you know, until after I pass away, uh, whether it's just me leaving behind a legacy, but I think, I think about things, yeah, I guess it's like infinity versus infinity not existing, like is, uh, is, is time infinite in that sense? And then there, there's another aspect I could, you know, mention uh, um, the three laws of thermodynamics. One of them is um, you know, energy is neither neither created nor destroyed, only transferred. So it's like when we're born into the world, we're not adding weight to the world, right? That's literally true. Correct. The world, the world never gets heavier because of that one concept. So I think you know, the meteorites do strike the Earth, and that adds to the mass. Right, but well, and solar rays <laughs> internally in our atmosphere. Yeah, I mean it's not a completely closed system. Well, I mean, isn't there supposedly some actual weight that when the spirit leaves the body does transfer out? That they had a a belief oh, at some point. It's like there, 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 there's point some beliefs that like you. Yeah, there's, there's some beliefs that when you die, you lose like this really minuscule amount of weight. It's the weight of a soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you guys have ever seen Breaking Bad, um, one of the main, <laughs> one of the main scenes in that show is that back in the day. Walter White could have been a billionaire had he just stayed with that company, but he left. But him and this girl were talking about, like, they, were, they had all the chemical um, makeup of the whole body, and there was, like, this, like, 0.000% they couldn't figure out, and they're like, oh, maybe it's the soul. So I, <laughs> I think even among hardcore intellectuals, there is there's still curiosity related to, you know, what, it, what happens after this. Um, I, I think some people are saying now that like when you die, like your brain still is like active for a long time. It's like I, I, you hear a lot of weird things. I think I, I'm a, I think science is cool, but um, I, in, in my Christian point of view, I think science is built into the world, and that um, in order to believe in religion and believe in 
or maybe I'm saying it backwards, but um, in order to do science, you have to believe that the world is orderly. You 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 can't you can't have you can't believe that like uh, gravity is gonna reverse itself tomorrow. So you have to believe in universal laws that like exist, and it's like who put the laws there? So I mean, there's a lot of ways I think about it. I I have tons of friends who are atheists, so discuss it. It's a simulation, bro. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, if it, if it is a simulation, that that answers my question. I, I really don't have any motivation, you know, but that makes me sad. <laughs> Come on. I feel like I'm just looking for, like, the motivation to make sense of this all. Like, why am I here? And, and I, I think, yeah, I just want to spread the message of liberty. That's what I hope my life has meaning for. Absolutely, man. Right on. I'm not listening to you. You believe in science. <laughs> oh. Get that corn out of my face. That's our next movie, by the way, Nacho Libre. Oh, no, it, it was really Cultural Day Appropriation Day. It was really Tom Woods who brought me over to that side because I was kind of you know in between. But Tom Woods helped me realize that it was a lot of like the Catholic uh, priests or the Catholic clergymen that did a lot of science because there's always the, the theory is that like you know religion's always been anti-science, not necessarily true. Not at all. And yeah, and and one thing Tom Woods points out is that when you compare like Christianity to Islam, Islam would not have it that the world is orderly. They they imagine that the world's chaotic, and that's why just looking at why they they're kind of set back. Actually, um, before you get too ahead of yourself, yeah. that is inaccurate, because there was actually a point in a point in history where the where Islam was all of science, like they and then eventually they kind of started moving backwards culturally and then the Catholic Church took over with science. It's a it's really, really interesting getting into the history of science and like basically it was always I was just paraphrasing what Tom Woods said there almost, that <laughs> You know, I didn't want to jump on you about it just because I, I I hate the the hardcore fanatical uh, right wingers that are like, oh Islam's a backwards religion. Well yeah now, but there was a point in time where it was the you know, the go-to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it was it was the one that was pushing the boundaries of progress in humanity. And then it kind of doubled back on itself at some point. Well, I think Islam's definitely mischaracterized. Um, I mean, you read uh, uh, Fool's Air by Scott Horton, that unclogs your mind in a few pages, you know. And mm-hmm. Sorry to go off topic, but like one thing he points out is that a lot of these extremist terrorists are not actually religious. They're more or less, um, oh, what do you call them? Like someone like they like kind of affiliate with the religion for identity purposes, but they couldn't really quote anything from the Quran except maybe one like hardcore verse that would take out of context. I think a lot of the people that were involved, I think like the Orlando Orlando killer was like not that religious, but like he's uh, Muslim. Um, See, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's not exactly, and, and there's like billions of Muslims, and only like a few hundred thousand of these terrorist attacks. So proportionally, there's really not that much terrorism, but um, and in kind of like a tangential question, what does everybody feel about the whole Jordan Peterson thing? Because I'm always fascinated by the fact that apparently he's Catholic, but if you've ever heard him speak about religion, he speaks about it from the most academic, anthropological sense imaginable. And it's like, how can you sit there and talk about like the stories in the Bible and believe them? yet know that they existed 10,000 years before the Bible was ever written. <laughs> mm, I don't know. JBT has been asked, like, do, you, do you believe Jesus uh, was alive and like, you know, uh, died for three days and rose? To, and he, the way he basically answered was just like, um, I don't like f- phrasing my, the, my thoughts like that or something like that. 
I mean, he just he he wouldn't really answer it like yes or no. He looks at me. He almost looks at the Bible like a self help help book. Yeah, which is okay. what Twelve Rules does. It's like there's good lessons in here, whether or not it really happens. So. Yeah, I think I think my my friend Matt described it in a good way that he says he lives his life like there would like there is a God. So whether you believe in God or not, you live your life life like there is a God. Meaning you. You know, it, it sounds creepy thinking someone's watching you, but you know, th- there's something that created you, and something that is uh, wants you to do well. And doesn't you know? Di- didn't create you to kill others. Didn't create you to uh, rape others. Didn't create you to violate property rights of others. But uh, in fact, the opposite. I think some people need that. Maybe never. I'm I'm more from the Pendulet school of thought that I rape exactly as many people as I want to, and I don't need anybody telling me not to. <laughs> it's kind of a uh, Max Turner, I think it is. Or the guy. You know, people will ask the question, well, if you don't believe in God, what's to stop people from killing people? And, like, well, I kill as many people as I want to, which is zero. Mm. So, <laughs> I see Daniel over there looking pensive at the, the camera. <laughs> That's just my we, look. <laughs> what, I what like let 15 more minutes, though, guys. Like 15 <laughs> more minutes. What are we going to talk about? Well, you know, I think uh, it's probably yeah. as good a spot as any to start winding this thing down. We've been going about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, so this is our States of the Libertarian Union talk show. Um, so, Nick, I'm going to direct a question at you. You, uh, sure. you talk about music. Um, do, you, do you do interviews with people and you talk about the type of music they like or do you analyze songs for libertarian-style content or meaning? <laughs> well, it's when sort of what we do with movies, right? Uh Really, what my goal is is because I'll be honest, there's not much libertarian music out there. Um, occasionally, you know, we'll, we'll, I will have a guest on that will you know, turn me on to something from a libertarian perspective. But I, I find that most people just like the music that they like, and I, to me, the whole my whole goal is really to get to know people from a human level. I would almost like look at what I do as almost like a, a puff piece, so to speak, you know. Um, find out who this person that we would look at as being like a luminary in the libertarian world, what do they think? You know, what are they, what is something that makes them just a person and not strictly speaking a libertarian? Um, I'm only talking to libertarians because that's the people I'm interested in generally. But it was, I also looked at it as a way to kind of point out to the rest of the world maybe that, Hey, they're normal people just like you. They they have normal interests because, I, like I said, I, I, you get so bogged down in the uh, in the chat rooms, and it's just so much bickering and fighting and minarchists and anarchists and everybody hates each other. I'm like, you know, I, I really like progressive rock. We just talk about that. That's cool. I, I get it. <laughs> Don't want to bomb Syria. I think it's stupid. But but maybe if you see me as a human being, you won't tell me to shut up and go kill myself. <laughs> So, um, but like I said, there, I have there's if you have any good uh, libertarian music you'd love to send out, I'm always looking for that stuff to promote and get out there. Other than backwards and a few other like uh, Jordan Page, uh, Tom Woods is that new guy, Rock Cut Country, that's got some stuff out. Um, then there's Rush, but even Rush, like as an artist, uh, Neil Peart's kind of turned his back on the whole libertarian ideology. And became a former Randian as opposed to a Randian. Mm, did not know that. I just <laughs> heard that they uh, retired recently or stopped touring or something. We, I'm glad I didn't go to the last tour because it would have been sad to watch. I've seen a couple of videos and 
as a vocalist myself, it's difficult watching people get old and no longer have it. <laughs> and Geddy Lee didn't have it, we'll just say that. Couldn't get those notes out quite anymore. Yeah, it is sad. We all we all get old, though. My wife was telling me the other night that uh, I'm getting a lot of gray hair. I, I, I can't see it, cause, like, on the top of my head. And by the way, I have a, a headband in, like one of my kids' headbands, because my nice. hair is growing out, and it's getting my eyes. <laughs> so I have to... Uh, appropriate some uh, girls' headband headwear. Yeah, so if any of you guys do want to come out and nerd out and just talk about stuff that's not politics for a change, <laughs> I'm the guy to do it. I, I, have, I have no interest. I, I never not talk about politics. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even talk to people not about politics. So. I mean, I managed I'm to talk kidding. to Trey Weaver for like an hour and a half or something <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah, and I love it, that and guy. We're already, and we're already planning our, like, I think me and him were talking, we're going to be doing a special... Fourth of July episode. Um, every every episode that ends in a one, we do a uh, what do you call it? Five albums that everyone should know or you should go out and buy right now. And we're gonna do a special Fourth <laughs> uh, of July themed one and pick uh, albums that I think we're gonna go pick the worst uh, albums for uh, like jingoism <laughs> and Americanism and all that stuff. Oh and just, yeah, and just sit put, there and tear them apart. On there. America, <laughs> fuck yeah. I mean, that may be how we open up the episode. Honestly, that's how we opened up our Fourth of July one last year with Adam Kokesh. I think it was episode. I'm gonna say 30. Does that sound right, Robert? I was talking to that hey, guy. <laughs> you need to get back in touch with that guy, Dan. Uh, he's been uh, going around with his tour bus. He's been trolling Bill Weld. He's been doing all sorts of stuff. I I watch his uh, Adam versus the Man on YouTube sometimes. <laughs> I, I gotta ask you, how do you think he did, Stephen? Against uh, Bill Weld, I was a little underwhelmed personally. Oh, that that last video? Yeah. Uh, I th- I thought Bill Weld actually stood his ground. Like Adam was trying to you know go in and like have these like one shot questions. And, like Bill Weld like had answers to him. So I think it made yeah. Adam, I made I think it made Adam look a little weak in that sense because it's just like you know Adam's just trying to like I I don't I don't believe Bill Weld at all. If Bill Weld says he's he's always thought taxation and stuff. No, he has it. I mean, just go go listen to what Bill Weld used to say. So I mean, he Bill Weld kind of turns his back and what he. Yeah, I, I, that'd be good if Bill Weld got better. I just don't believe it. Do any of you guys believe that Bill Weld got better? Oh no, he's, he's a shill. I, I I don't think he's mean. I don't I don't think Gary Johnson's mean. I just think they're both kind of traitors to the party. I mean, especially I mean, Walt, Walt, sold, Walt sold out to Gary, which is like you know we need to support Hillary to beat Trump and. Um, I think I still think Trump would have been better than Hillary. Hillary would have just—I don't think we would have had uh, North Korea, South Korea coming together if, if Hillary Definitely was in power, because uh, Hillary would have started another war elsewhere already. Um, pe- people think Trump's a warmonger. Well, Hil- Hillary would have just done it quicker. She's she's an expert on a war. <laughs> do uh, do Daniel and Robert uh, subscribe much to the uh, party politics at all? I, I get the impression no, from what I've heard of the show, but. No, no I, not at all. No, yeah, that's a big no for me. I think that there's... We had... Uh, <coughs> but we even had uh, Kokesh ask us to get involved in his campaign, and I was like, nah. Good for you guys. Real principled. I think I mean, We're the thinnest. We're the thinnest. I think there's room for it from an educational standpoint, and there's a platform there, but I don't believe in voting and trying to subjugate others to my will by pushing a button or checking a box you know but what what if my will dan was just to leave you be 
And I, all, all I wanted to do was just get in office and leave you be. You shouldn't need to be in office to do that. <laughs> hey, that that, that's not an argument. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I'm going to support the Mises Caucus and maybe Larry Sharp, but other than that, I mean, I, there's no one else I could really, really support. Um, I think I think Larry Sharp even he has a long he's only been a libertarian for like five six years I'm impressed with him that he's made a lot of progress he's he's pretty good but uh, um, I hope we can get our work he's, out he's the he's the best voice that the party actually has yeah because he's he's actually good at the political side of things but he he's a well spoken very guy. principled he's, yeah he's not the kind of guy that's gonna get involved in scandals and you can tell the media would like really have to try to like he's just a nice well spoken guy. But anyways, I mean, it's just obviously not really anyone else I would support. And the only reason I would support anybody is because if we can at least get someone in, in the Libertarian Party who, like, is a better messenger. Like, I don't know if you guys, I, I'm an LP card member. I get email from the LP. Most of them suck. Like, they're, 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 just, they're just the worst marketers ever. Like, it's either, like, asking for money or supporting some candidate no one's ever heard of that's probably like a Bill Well type Libertarian. Were you in the worst caucus? Ever. When I posted that about Tom Woods should write their emails. Oh no, that that oh my god, that's a good one, man. Hey, no, because I because I just like you said, man, they're the single worst asking for money emails I've ever gotten in my life, and I get oh, one a day. No. I got I got I got a freaking letter in the mail the other day saying like, hey, this is really important. We really 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 need your money right now. I was basically and, I was basically how the letter like we're like in a dire situation right now. Things are happening at this convention. Need your money. And, so, and there's there's like there's like a checkbox for like five thousand dollars like you know they're they're hoping yeah. someone I mean I just I don't like being asked for money I like my, I, I don't mind supporting people but don't ask you for money. My big <laughs> thing with the Mises Caucus and why why I got involved is because at least if there's going to be a party that's carrying the mantle of libertarian out there, it better damn well be principled. And the fact that there's so many communists involved in the Libertarian Party is mind-boggling. And I really don't want those people carrying the name Libertarian. And exactly. Me that's, why, that's, why, that's why I try to ostracize people. Like when I see like these people that are LP chairmen for the LP and they don't understand what domestication of animals is and why that saves animals. There's like little, little basic stuff, you know, that they just don't understand anything. Um, I try to ostracize them in that. They're either, one, going to listen to what I say and go read some stuff, or they'll just shut up and go away. But uh, honestly, wouldn't it be better if just some people just shut up and go away? How, how else do we get them to do that unless you just make fun of them, like make, make them feel bad, literally just try, try to make them feel bad on the inside so they don't waste anyone else's time? Because I, <laughs> I think it's a little bit unfair. I, I truly, truly, truly think it's unfair that libertarianism is such a sound ideology. At the core of it, it's just keeping to yourself uh, li living freely, uh, cooperating with other people. Um, it's, it's really, really basic. It's, it, but, and for these people to warp the ideology so much, I just kind of want them to feel bad deep inside because they should feel bad. <laughs> if you're wondering, like, why am I so mean to people? Because I want them to go away. I, I, I truly, I just, you know, there, there are plenty of good libertarians. So, like, for every shitty libertarian on my friends list, probably, like, uh, 500 good ones. You know, it's, well, not too many terrible ones, but... Um, but that's my problem with the LP, though, is all it does is attract the shitty libertarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I mean, what I'm saying. What kind of the, confused it, message is it where it's like, yeah, the government's terrible, elect me to run it? And this freaking used car salesman, Sarwork, I mean, he's just, he couldn't sell anything to anyone. Um, but he probably, <laughs> probably didn't sell many cars. From what I understand, he actually is a pretty good uh, car salesman, but uh, certainly oh, not a okay. message of liberty. 
Well, people, you know, the, the way people prop him up and like trying to defend him, it's like the worst way is like, oh, he's good at organizing events. He's he's good at organizing events. He just couldn't really describe libertarianism in three sentences or less. Than that, really. <laughs> He can, he, can, he, can, he can set up an event, set up a nice snack bar, um, set it up so it looks nice. I mean, you know, great job, Nick. Great job. That's really what that's really what we need is just a better party. <laughs> I'd like to see less events and more hackers. Oh yeah, I mean, we don't need events. I, I, we need people to like. That's my big thing with like the stuff. Libertarian Party asks me for money. I'm like, well, why do you ask me to do something as opposed to ask me for money? Why don't you take advantage of the skills I have? We're never going to outpay any of the other parties. So you yeah, might as well like, just get the skills that we have and utilize those. And it's, it's it, every dollar someone has that they didn't work for, they have they're more willing to spend rather than save. It's just kind of the way it is. Like if you're given something, like you have automatically, you're gonna have a less chance of saving that. All right, guys. I think that we've <laughs> gone off the rails. It's great. I love it. Uh, but we've been going about an hour and a half. Uh, Steven, you said you had to go 15 minutes, uh, about 20 minutes ago. Thing. Do you hear the effects on now? Yeah, let's hear some effects. I was going to try some effects. Let me see. <laughs> Here, I'm trying to wind the show down One, for your two, benefit. Three. Testing, testing. Do you hear it? A little bit. Okay. I'll mess with that someday, but yeah, I, I guess we can end now, Dan. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You are a huge nerd. All right, so I got my effects going. Uh, so I'll just um, mention where you guys can find our show. It's the Actual Anarchy podcast, actualanarchy.com, and we also have the normie-friendly version, lastnighters.com. So do, guys, do check that out. We also run readrothbar.com, blackand.gold, and a few other websites. Um, Robert, is your website up yet? No, it isn't, but thanks for remembering. But it will be. <laughs> it will be at some point, point. and Robert also has some uh, T-shirt designs on, is it Teespring? T-Public. T-Public. And I've got a link to that in each of our most recent episodes under actualanarchy.com slash podcast. So go about halfway down the page and you'll see some of Robert's designs. You can click through and make a purchase if you desire. Um, and uh, we'll go to Stephen. Where can people find your work? And then we'll go to Nick. Y'all can find me at 4peaceandliberty.com or just look me up, man. <laughs> All right. Right. I, just want, I just wanted to leave an awkward pause there. Don't edit it out. It's an awkward pause. <coughs> just look me up. <laughs> More awkward pausing. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, um, yeah. Words, words, words. No, yeah. Um, thanks for having me on for the side. So we do this like once a month. We can hopefully get more people on next time. Yeah, once a month. And usually it's, you know, six or seven people... I think the first or second time we had almost nine or ten people, and it was like too much. It was like overwhelming. No one could really say more than a minute worth of content, and then they had to wait like a half an hour to speak again. Just takes one person with an echo out of ten. Yeah, there you go. All right, Nick, where can people find your show? Soundslikelibertypodcast.com, or just look up Sounds Like Liberty on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, pretty much everywhere. Uh, I post the video uh, of the Are you audio. On Cam Four. What's Cam Four? Apparently, <laughs> I need to look for it. I'm hoping it's <laughs> no, porn. No, you, you don't. You don't. You don't. It's, it's porn, right? Uh, um, 
I don't know. You got to look for it now. I, I'm going to. I will post it. I don't care what it is. Can. If you can get on Cam Four, I hope I'll it's a dating okay. site. Sort of. <laughs> but yeah, so it sounds like ladies. Yeah. We're all over the place. <laughs> I'm just messing around. Sorry. <laughs> all right, and and Robert, do you have any final messages for our audience before we bring this to a close? No, just thanks for listening, guys. It's been a privilege, honor talking to these two fine gentlemen from their respective podcast, part of the Libertarian Union. And, uh, yeah, join us back next month for another hot episode. We don't know what we'll be talking about, but it'll be spicy. That's right. And you can find more content from our other providers at libertarianunion.com. We've got Don't Waste Your Hate, uh, Liberty Weekly, Subversion Webcast, Foreign Policy Focus, Battle for Liberty, ANCAP Barbershop, among others. Um, there's so many I can't even remember them all. Oh, hold on. We have a show called ANCAP Barbershop. That's great, right? Who is this? Yeah. Like, I've been out of the loop, obviously. Well, go to the Libertarian Union. You'll find out all about it. Libertarianunion.com. I would go, go check out the, the union I am part of. All right. And we'll backslash.com all day long. Saying goodnight from the State of the Libertarian Union episode for the month of April 2018. We'll see you guys in a month. Thank you guys for joining. It's been a pleasure. Peace. I thank you guys very much for having me on. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. 